back live and on the phone with us from uh, Oregon is uh, Galen Faust. So I got that right. Are you there Galen? Aha. We've got technical errors already. Hang on for folks. Are you, can you hear me? Okay. And uh, I didn't know if it, it I actually, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know why. How you doing? Are you back? Doing well. Okay. There you go. I'm sorry, uh, Galen. Uh, they've actually changed the board, so uh, I am. Um, I got the wrong mic button up. So, are you still with us? I'm still here. There you go. So, y you know what's funny uh, is a radio show is only as good as your engineer. <laughs> if he doesn't turn you on, you're not going anywhere. 
Oh, uh, so go ahead and uh, why don't uh, we were talking a little bit off the air while we're listening to musical break. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your book? It's on our Facebook page for anybody that wants to uh, click and look. And I, as I mentioned to the audience a little earlier, it is already available for download. I know from at least the Google Play Store. Yeah, well, hi, everybody. Uh, this is Galen Foos. I am a, an author uh, of a book, recent book called Decoding Your Kink, a guide to exploring, sharing, and enjoying your wildest sexual desires. Uh, I'm also a, a therapist that works with clients. I mean, you know, my focus uh, is, uh, you know, there's the term sex positive. I go by the current term kink positive and, and how I work with people who are trying to untangle their desire, their authentic desire for, in this case, some range of kink, which is a broad palette of what that might look like, and untangle it from all the parts of them that have been afraid, resisted, were ashamed, or even traumatized uh, around sexuality in general, let alone their uh, particular desires. Uh, and I'm also a researcher, uh, and I have an ongoing research project called the Discover Your Personal Erotic Myth Survey that people can take. It's up on my website, galenfoos.com, that's F-O-U-S, uh, where you can uh, take this 40-question survey and, and really start to drill down into the more detail and the richness uh, about your fantasies. Uh, as well, I'll just throw this out since we're on what I do, I also created the Tetris portable, uh, three-in-one portable dungeon suspension bondage rig and sex swing. Mm -hmm. But I'm here mostly to talk tonight about this topic of, uh, in this program here called Regarding Sex, I understood from our talk earlier that it is about helping people uh, kind of, how do you bridge your everyday life with your sexual life, you know, in, in a healthy way. Right. That's really kind of the broader topic, and I, and that's what I my mission is around those kinds of things to bring sexuality up to the table as a legitimate topic of conversation and and to treat it like uh, any other part of the human personality. Right. And and I think a lot of what as we discussed a little bit uh, when we first uh, met, even people who associate and and find us good human beings are um, that you know it's 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 easy for them to misrelate that uh you know it's uh again it's it's i i realize that there's a nomenclature that we all use within our tribes if you will and this is in many ways a tribe but it's uh it's actually not an unhealthy appetite and it's not really about uh and I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I know because uh, I've taken a lot of therapy in my life and my therapist was quink aware. You know, there's a lot of uh, I don't play with somebody who's not healthy mentally, physically and emotionally. And it's, it's not that they're not human. We're all human. But that's a that's a big part of it. And I think that's that's a, a lot of what, you know, we look at the 50 shades of gray, which is in reality, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. It exposed uh, part of our tribe, for instance, to the general public, but in a way that I, th I found was very demeaning. Uh, you know, he, he was a sexually abused child who then took it out on, or that was the, the assumption that was kind of portrayed in the books. Yeah. So. Well, uh, you, those are all good points that you're bringing mm -hmm. up there, uh, Will, and one kink is a complex sexual territory right. that's been little really explored and mapped, and a lot of people step into it kind of uh, it's kind of like pioneering, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 
200 years ago, people went off to the wilderness and pioneered their way into these new territories and found all kinds of riches, and there were also dangers and risks. So, you know, so we're kind of at the stage now where the pioneers, the vanguard, are, are the ones who are out in the, the territory exploring alternative sexuality. Uh, do you, do you, but, big, but, but uh, well, I was going to say is, I, I'm not sure, I'm not, I get. I, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. Within our life, uh, our lifespans, or the or the or the generations around our lifespan. But if you look at some of what, you know, uh, some of what the was evolving in the Roman Empire and the Egyptian Empire, and some of the stuff, some of the stuff that we're doing today, they openly did back then. But yeah, so this, this dimension has always been there, but it's yes. never been this run and loose in the culture at large. You know, uh, before with the internet, it just kind of caused this kind of, when I look at it, this unprecedented release of sexual arrows uh, yes. in which people are able to explore, you know, experiment through online, you know, anonymous ways. And then also that's led to tribes gathering, as you say, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of in all kinds of uh, new uh, sexual communities of all sorts mm -hmm. uh, are emerging that. We all have been around for a long time, but they haven't been this prevalently mm -hmm. uh, examined and explored. And, you know, the, the mass at large community is, is pursuing sex like never before, I think. Right. Before, it was always like the, the jet set of every era, you know, where all yes. the decadent body, yeah. you know, wild sexual explorers. The masses were just, you know, under the church's harsh authority, at least in the European side of the coin. Mm -hmm. uh, but but this still is a emergence. This emergence now is still at a very mature, immature adolescent state. So there is a lot of recklessness and irresponsibility, and uh, people don't know how to handle this uh, energy yet. So mm -hmm. that's part of what I've been working on and exploring and researching is, is try to help build some tools that people... Uh, can step into these parts of themselves, these are erotic uh, creatures almost, you know, that, that want to come out and play in a healthy way. You know, so our culture has pathologized sex for so long that it's hard for people not to think of that there must be some, oh, these poor souls must have been damaged in some way. And that's yes. like you talked about with the Fifty Shades of Grey guy, that's why they're into being a sadist or, uh, you know, wanting to tie somebody up or control them, whatever. Um, and so uh, and this is much the same as what was applied to homosexuality in the 50s forward, you know. Yeah. All these poor souls, what could have made, you know, something must have happened to make them want to have sex with the wrong gender, you know, or right. something. Well, right. well so kink, sorry, you talk about in your, even in your own field, I, I brought this, I, uh, I imagine you're bringing this up because I actually mentioned it at the beginning of the show. When I was a child, too, too young to do anything about it, but within my lifetime, sex, uh, homosexuality was considered a deviant um, mental illness. Yeah, until 72, I think. Yes, the 72. Manual, yeah. uh, it's still considered, legally in some states it still is, but the AMA actually called it a, a, um, a mental illness until yeah. 72. So it's a little changed since then, hasn't it? Yeah, so and this is like, you know, these are coming in waves. So the gay and lesbian community really led the charge in terms mm -hmm. of taking this to a political level of where it was, you know, your civil rights uh, mm -hmm. are at stake. And I think the kink community is kind of going to be going down that same trail because 
we will get challenged, uh, depending right. on who gets elected next, especially mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being not made illegal, you know, right. in, in many regards. Well, it is illegal in, in many regards in some states. Yeah, there is. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of ways people yeah. can still get in trouble. Uh, right. Uh, and with the law, uh, even if they're consensually agreeing to do something, right. that that's totally uh, silly. But I think the important point here is that, yeah, this is not a pathology. This is an innate, right. inherent, lifelong sexual framework that someone has, just like if someone is a homosexual or a lesbian mm-hmm. or a transgender right. or whatever. It's not like a pathology. It is simply an innate dimension of Eros that we really haven't allowed, uh, generally as the mainstream culture hasn't allowed to have that kind of diversity going on. And and I I think one of the analogies I like to look at is I have many friends, they've been on the show, who are storytellers. They they spin a yarn, it takes you on a journey, and 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 it sucks you in. Well, I have known in my life several uh, pathological, what I call pathological liars or con men mm-hmm. and women who will then take a story, make it real, make you feel it, and then take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. What, it doesn't make one right or the other wrong. They're both stories. It's, it's I think, more or less the intent, the, yeah. the consciousness. So I that's what I teach that too. is uh, yeah. I have a practices, and this is what I help work with people on, is mm-hmm. people who want to take their sexuality out of the out of the shadows, you know, mm-hmm. out of their dishonesty, out of their ways they've hidden it, snuck it, not been straight up with it, and who want to participate with it in a conscious, healthy way. That means transparency, that means nego- clear negotiation, uh, you know, uh, there's no perfection. I mean, people can still make errors along the way, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's with the intention, I think, as you mentioned, to, you know, engage someone uh, in a way that's, you know, risk aware. Uh, consensual, negotiated, and with things built in to where you can stop, adjust, you know, check in, mm-hmm. uh, all along the path in terms of uh, a scene. So I think it's really what's lacking or what, what we have to work on more is get these tools out there that people can use to help them bridge this. Now, there's this thing you kind of mentioned about, well, there is a there are people who are kind of uh, you know, moving more, doing the same thing in terms of uh, two people who just meet and want to engage, you know, oh, I'm a doc. Kinks and fetishes that are, like, if you go on Fat Life, yeah. the group, all the different groups that are formed, and they're yes. all populated. Yes. You know? and, and there's no framework for that. It's not even a lot. It's, like, horrifying to even that I could I would say that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of for some people would totally freak out to even imply that, uh, what mm-hmm. am I talking about? My child. It must be a child molester or something. But the fact is, I have this survey I mentioned earlier on the discover your personal erotic myth, and one of the questions in there is, at what age did you first become aware of your erotic fantasies uh, in a distinct way? And uh, there was a you could go from like uh, I think four to six. There was like nineteen percent, uh, seven to nine. Uh, there was another 23%, and then 10 to 12, uh, there was another 30%. So that's kind of startling, really, from whatever the cultural norm in the sense of, well, sex doesn't occur till puberty or, or you know, sexual sexuality doesn't occur till puberty. But the truth is, is uh, now this was a opt-in population. 
that took the survey. It's not a random sampling, so that, those aren't numbers, percentages. Right, 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 I'm quoting right. about what is the general populations ratios. But in this population that took the survey, that was uh, a high percentage, 40% before the age of 10, uh, basically, were right. in their erotic fantasies. And then when I put it further, what age did you start masturbating to those fantasies? Uh, it maybe dropped by 10%, uh, but it was still people were actively engaging their sexuality well before puberty. And, and there's nothing that we, we don't teach. Mostly those kids get shamed if they ever got caught, you know? Well, well don't uh, an, ever a, do that. And so we do need sex education, and, and we need to educate the sex educators, because even sex educational people don't really have much training in sexuality. No. So I remember my first sexual experiences had nothing to do with uh, with really me manipulating anything, but they were essentially wet dreams. And I remember mm -hmm. having them as a kid. And I remember even today, I know uh, parents that shame their kids for doing that. And, mm -hmm. you know, it is interesting. But, you know, something else, you, you know, the, what I'm really picking from this is we associate our sexuality with our bodies and we're mm -hmm. divorcing it from our minds. Our minds mature at a different age. They're not fully mature until 27. So, but we allow a range of activities before then. And w one of the interesting things I uh, was talking to, actually my particular therapist, and we used to talk about, um, he was talking about the, one of the current prevalent ther theories of fetishes was that your brain starts to fire you know, the, the sexual part of your brain starts to fire up and will fire up randomly. It's like starting from cold. And if you happen to be playing with your mother's shoe at the time that fires, you end up with a fetish associated with shoes from then on our feet or you, you can you can extrapolate that any way you want to. But it's an interesting theory. And I, I, I guess it has some prevalence now in within your popular well, your here's uh, my feeling about those uh, uh, or a, a broader brush stroke on that as mm -hmm. I look at it is uh, and you mentioned this there are stories involved mm -hmm. here we are actually dealing in erotic mythos mm -hmm. I don't look at it so much as the brain you know, a lot of people want to apply uh, brain chemistry I mean there is this idea of imprinting you know which mm -hmm. has been kind of verified of you know that puberty you know a baby duck will you know, bond with a leather boot if that's, or not at puberty, at birth, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and that's its mother figure from then on, you know, so it, it still is certainly a big mystery, you know, the science behind this stuff, and I think we're way far away from really understanding it, but what I do know, and my experiences, and what's through my 2,300 people have taken this survey, and some of the data, the points that are starting to accumulate from there, is that, uh, People with a, who are fetish sexual, what I call fetish sexuals, mm -hmm. uh, who are driven are driven by an unconscious storyline, a myth with archetypal personas that drives that are engaging in a fantasy that has dialogue, body language, attire, props, setting, history, uh, in a way that drives them to orgasm or other deep erotic states. Mm. So, and this is what I think is going on with a certain percentage of the gene pool, anyway, who are quetosexuals. Their eros is not, you know, sex is friction, eros is myth. 
as I look at it. Mm-hmm. And most people have sex, and they're not really engaging the mythic component of their sexuality. But people who are fetishsexuals, that's what they're driven to do. They, they, they desire uh, and have fantasies constantly. And these are uh, what is, you know, that's why it's now bringing into the world, and people are, you know, dressing up in leather and having all kinds of toys and props and tools. These aren't just things that people made up externally. These are coming from an internal mm-hmm. yearning, yes. uh, some of which have ancient roots uh, in them. So, I mean, there is this kind of connecting to the mythos, is connecting to this this kind of deeper sensibility of uh, the unconscious, you know, things going on in the unconscious. So much more than brain science and chemistry and neuroscience stuff, I look at it as much uh, more of this... Uh, Left, right, you know, there's so there's an analytical, cognitive, scientific way to look at things, and then there's an imaginal brain that we have too. That's symbolic, mm-hmm. uses symbolic language to extract meaningful content and information and experience. So that's why people can go into scene with another person, and it is like going into an altered state, into an altered reality, stepping into this. You are embodying this whole different persona than you are in your everyday world. I mean, this is literally, it's not role-playing. As I look at it, I look at it as embodying a uh, mm-hmm. part of yourself that is un- mostly unconscious. So it's like, for instance, in vanilla sex, you know, people don't describe or talk about any of these things, but in that last minute before orgasm, suddenly their sex creature embodies, and it's like, ah, harder, fuck me, you know, bringing in right. all of this whole different energy. And that's like just a soundbite from one's personal erotic myth, mm-hmm. as I look at it. If you drill down from there, you would discover, you might discover all sorts of more, for, you know, hours of storyline yeah. that were oh, really yeah. going on. I, I look at myself <clears throat> now, and as I let go of those shackles, as I realize uh, I'm not some abnormal human being, and embrace who I am, and do it with, I, I do it with... Uh, I'm conscious and uh, try to be compassionate and uh, I always seek consent and uh, mm-hmm. and connection. And I, I bring that up because it's a huge deal for me any chance I can. But but given that, the freedom, I, I never, I never mm-hmm. realized, for instance, I would not have ever picked me to be, have any kind of sadistic tendencies. And then once you start to explore that or let that go or start to drill down, as you say, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing what pops up and then what suddenly becomes um, a desire or normal or something you wish normal for you or something you wish to explore. And I th- that's another thing I think we, we, over do, we kind of do as a society is, and one of the reasons I like the quote-unquote kink community is we tend to describe normal in very, very broad strokes, and I don't think it ever really could be that. Well, normal is personal. Yes. I, I, yeah, uh, but I think we don't look at it that way. I mean, don't, don't you see that perception? Do you, do you oh, find yeah, a lot so of... Oh, yeah, we're not taught that. that yeah. We're taught that normal is external, and there's a way I'm supposed to conform, and if I want to be a good person, if I want to go to heaven, if I want to be acceptable... Uh, this is what good looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and so most people do conform, but that's why it, it's so dangerous. The danger of that is we push our truth into shadow. 
Yes. And this is in the unconscious. It goes down and we tuck it away and we try to deny, reject, uh, hide, you know, it. And then that's, it doesn't go away. So, for instance, a prime example is sexuality, whatever our sexuality, so whatever our sexuality truth looks like you know from like in the 50s if you were homosexual mm -hmm. because it was so there was so much at risk to come out to expose yourself you could lose your job your family your friends you yes. could go to jail uh you know that people did hide it but they didn't stop then they would sneak and then they'd get caught get busted have a fall from grace uh and receive all these things. And this is still what's going on in the culture. I think I spoke at the beginning about sexual honesty. Yes. You know, I don't think the problem is porn and sex addiction or having affairs and all these things. It's sexual dishonesty. Right. You know, and I, I have this uh, disorder I've created. I, I don't believe in the DSM. I don't really use it. I, I don't look at people as that kind of pigeonholeable. Uh, it's really just to listen to what the person's truth are, but I have a disorder I call sexual authenticity disorder, and that is the fear of revealing or others discovering what the depths of your sexuality really look like. And this is a prevalent issue, I think, for many people, and why so many people hide their sexuality and sneak with their sexuality, because we're not in a culture that encourages sexual honesty. You know, if there was no cost for saying, hey, I am a, a kinky, perverted, uh, nasty, dark, you know, uh, pain-inflicting sadist, you know, consensually negotiated with a partner. Because here's what a lot of people miss. The intent is eros, you know, mm -hmm. not the, the aforementioned qualities. It's, it's in, Somehow eros has gotten entwined with these kinds of desires, and uh, that is still a mystery true why that is, but I mean, it's like, why is someone a homosexual? I mean, these are all mm -hmm. mysteries, you know, uh, that are, are just the way things are with our sexual hidden culture. But so, uh, you know, most people, it's really about helping them. You know, as a therapist, it's really just about helping them come to terms with what's sexually true for them, then learn how to express it in an honest way and in a consensual and a negotiated way. Not only that, but also in an ecstatic way, you know, how to really embody this, you know, be present with it, uh, be uh, fully experiencing it, you know, which means being in their bodies, you know, being connected to their bodies, being intimately connected. Right. Uh, well, and, and I, I want to step back here for a uh, second. You, you've used the term uh, Eros, and I think what we do is a culture, and especially in tribes, as you break it down, and um, I've talked with a couple of my friends about even in what they call, when you start to throw terms around like BDSM, bondage, domination, sadomasochism, if you really talk to somebody who's involved in that space, that act, those terms really don't mean a whole lot because they are so general, they don't, they're not, they don't do it. But, but I, I kind of want to get your definition of what you're when you say Eros, what are what's what are you referring to? Um, that's the part of us that is, uh, you know, sexually mythic. You know, in other words, is in this mythic story with personas, archetypes, you know, counter archetypes and personas. Uh, that is so. Okay, so say for instance, someone's kink is uh, daddy-daughter oriented play right. between two consenting adults. Mm -hmm. You know, on the uh, the daddy's side, you know, there's this uh, 
daddy that can be kind of sweet and tender who you know loves his little girl protects her is you know just delighted by her and and that kind of level of the play i mean these are energies that that both sides can uh call up and really enjoy and take pleasure in that kind of more uh uh supportive kind of connection with each other and then there's what's more taboo or nasty or perverted you know than a uh, daddy uh, desiring to turn his little girl into a filthy sex slut. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, again, these are mythic dimensions. You know, does that mean that that girl or woman, you know, because you were talking about adult people right. and yeah, yeah, these things. Yeah, nobody is, uh, nobody is saying anything real about father? No. Yeah. She has an erotic mythos that there's a powerful erotic charge. Uh, that can go into in a healthy way uh, with a consenting partner, uh, and it is uh, it's like I said. I, I, as a therapist, I work with people in their forties and fifties, and I have people come to me who have carried for four or five decades this part of them that they've never told anybody else before. Right, and this is inherent in innate uh, parts of people that are, are clearly, if you look on fit life or anything. It's, it's just happening. It's part of reality. You know, it's not like uh, there's millions of sick, you know, disgusting, weird people out there. This is just, no, these are the normal ways that these people are. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's part, it's, uh, it's part of what is normal for that individual. And I want to, I want to step back to, and I'd like you to define uh, you've mentioned this several uh, times. You, you mentioned it in um, uh, in the book and in uh, the promotions of the book, but consent. You, mm-hmm. you refer to consent. And I, I'd like you, you know, I have a definition, but I'd like to hear your definition of what you consider consenting adults. What's yeah, involved well, in consent? I mean, what does that mean? Uh, I think, number one, is an intention to be straightforward, honest, direct, transparent, uh, cautious, scrutinous, you know, diligent. Uh, uh, there's a little array of qualities that I think that consent. Uh, communication, I think, is huge. Revolves around, yeah. Communication, uh, asking clear questions. Clear communication you know, between the two. Clarity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a sign-off. And uh, and I know that's, again, that's, that's a huge thing. Now, so consent is, and this is actually a, a big deal within the, the quote-unquote kink community now about consent and non-consent, mm-hmm. and, and we're talking about these, uh, you know, you've mentioned da- da- daddy-daughter and uh, dominant-submissive. These are terms used. I think most people kind of have a vague idea of what that means, but even within the community, I think years ago, one person was in charge, the other one did what they were told to do, and it wasn't looked as an equal relationship. But mm-hmm. as it evolves, I, I personally believe that it's a it's fifty fifty. You're you're both both of you are in charge of that relationship. Both of you have responsibilities to that relationship, that interaction. Both of you have to open and communicate. If one of you holds back, then you tr- truly don't have consent. And even if it's uh, a dominant taking uh, a sub, if the sub hasn't hasn't uh, you know uh, communicated everything that's been that is involved with that action, then, mm-hmm. then there's no way you can make a, a, a clear conscious decision. But it's more 50-50. Um, and I think that's well, a lot of Well, it's a negotiation, you know, yes. that 
uh, is not going to be perfect. Yes. We all have like what I call but we're humans. You know, so like you negotiate something with somebody and you think you've got it all covered and you step into the, uh, and this is mostly in the erotic container versus the relationship side. Mm-hmm. I think there should needs to be clear that there's a clear distinction because this is why some of the confusion occurs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've stepped on landmines. You know, somebody said uh, to me once, uh, oh, if I get out of line, just slap me in the face. I'm kind of saying, okay, I think I'm communicating, you know, here and clear, okay, that. And so we were in a situation, and she wasn't doing or, or resisting doing something, so I slapped her in the face. And I could see she just kind of instantly left the building, you know. Right. She wasn't, I didn't have a connection with her any longer. Some She, she went somewhere else. So, right. And this is why staying, uh, I look at DS, BDSM, and this kind of thing as a dance between mm-hmm. two souls. You know, and they are consciously embracing these polarities, you know, uh, with uh, good intent, with, you know, erotic intent, with ecstatic intent. Um, so the important thing in gauging is stay in the dance, you know, which means you're staying connected. That means your partner is with you step by step. So if you suddenly energetically or, or visibly, you can just see physically, whoa, that isn't where I thought she was going to go. Right. Uh, yeah, you didn't do it to you didn't do have, it to break the scene. Yeah, so the safeguards in these things are like to okay, stop. You know, we already built in. If something happens unexpected, we'll stop. I'll check in with you and make sure. So you going in, you already know kind of you're prepared for these kind of landmines that might show up. More will show up. You know, so yeah, well, it's inevitable. You know yes. that that will show up. So there's there's no perfection in the negotiation that you can cover absolutely everything, but. If you know reasonable adults can navigate these kind of territories, you know if they're care, you know if they're maintaining this connection, you know. So as a dom, you know above all, do no harm. I'm protect, you know I'm protective of myself. Right. And this uh, one realm. So there's a DS side, which I look at the noble side, of, and then there's the profane side of the erotic BDSM. You know, and that noble side of DS, and I'm negotiating with my partner. Yeah, I, I want to respect her humanity, protect her humanity. Uh, encourage, uh, you know, who she is and take, make sure that no harm is done. So when we then enter into the erotic BDSM side of the coin, that part is still intact. Mm-hmm. I haven't left my intention to, you know, do no harm, you know, to maintain her soulful dignity, et cetera, mm-hmm. and care. Mm-hmm. So if something comes up, then that's where I, my default position is back to that guy, you know, who's so let me check in our, you know, what, what do you need right now? And, uh, what, ha- you know, tell me a little bit of what happened, if you can describe it or, you know, what was your experience there? You know, just to let them feel safe. You know, it's really just about me- you know, in a moment like that, it's just come back to safety, come back to care, come to back to a heart, heart connection so that, you know, your partner knows that, okay, uh, well, and sometimes people have, you know, hit some pretty deep traumas that have occurred in their past that they didn't think were there or didn't think would show up but you know and and so there is it's important to bring care into that moment because they uh they just need some support right then usually so you know and it's interesting because uh when i go to events and uh we didn't get a chance to meet each other, but we were at an event uh, in the same uh, place. Oh, the you same were city. at Kingfest. Yeah, I was. You yes, that. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. So, and, by the way, and I did see your piece of equipment there. It's a it's a beautiful piece of equipment. Mm. I I got to get me one, maybe two. Do you have one <laughs> that you can put in the back of my Ford Focus? 
Oh yeah. Well, I don't know for sure where it focuses, but it's you know it's it, it's it's fifty seven inches is the longest component. Yeah. So my real question is, we grew up in an age of shame, and and so one of the things that came out of the when I was. Uh, Reading, it was speedy reading through the book, and again, I apologize, I didn't get a chance to read it through. Um, and I and I actually want to. I'm reading another book, and it, it, I was amazed that some of the stuff that you're mentioning is actually in her research too. I'll, I'll mention that in a second. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me we run into landmines even if, if we have a relationship, if we're married, and we have uh, a wife, a husband, a partner. We love that person. That's why we chose to make it a commitment to each other. You still step on their toes. You still screw up. You still walk into landmines. It, it really isn't. That's part of being in a relationship and you're relating. Mm-hmm. And kink tends to, and one of the reasons I like it is it's a much deeper, and I find it to be, my opinion, a much deeper and richer connection. It's a much more flavorful, even sexual connection than uh, no, normal with just a, a quickie or somebody you met in a bar or even somebody you just didn't invest in learning. But but there is a degree of shame that we grew up with. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people in the community that are kind of in our bracket. Uh, and forgive me, I don't mean to throw you into this bracket, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm middle-aged, so that's part of it. Then the younger generation, and I was mentioning this at the beginning of the show, my daughter has is far more open. Even with me, I'm her dad. She talks about you know, her, her girlfriends or boyfriends, whatever. She, uh, I, hope I, I just added my daughter on radio. I hope I don't, I hope she doesn't kill me, but, uh, she's pretty open about it. I don't, she's on Facebook and, but, but do you see a difference in, in you know, when you're exploring this with your, with, uh, people and discussing the book, do you see it? Uh, is it, is it, does, do those line mans become less, uh, with the younger generation as opposed to the older generation where we've lived with so much shame around sex, especially in, in the United States? Well, you know, being of the uh, 60s generation myself, I can't say clearly what's going on with youth, but uh, I think we are, you know, generations away from integrating our everyday sexuality into the rest of our life. Even with how much progress has been made in openness, I still think, so younger people I think are getting more open, but they're not necessarily more mature about it. They're not getting the education, but understand the complexities as readily. And this isn't an easy territory. It takes a lot of thought to understand some of these distinctions and negotiations and, you know, taking care of each other. Uh, But I hope, I mean, that's my intention of the work I'm doing and the advocacy that I do. You know, I speak at college, universities and grad schools uh, to human sexuality or psychology students, you know, those future therapists, you know, that are in the queue right now. Um, And uh, I find, you know, I mean, it's like kind of a mix, you know, there is, there's not one, it isn't like they're all moving at the same pace or in the same direction. You know, there's still a lot of sex negativity. There's a lot of uh, judgment. There's a lot of politics woven into it. Uh, restrooms? Still, I'm sorry, what? We're, we're, as a country, we're still talking about restrooms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, politics? So totally and... strange signals from the quote-unquote adults Yes. Uh, yeah. that are running the show, politicians and religious leaders and all, all, you mm-hmm. know, all across the board. And, uh, yeah, so there, there's, there needs to be a lot of, edu- you know, Oh, yes. 
not so much education. I mean, yes, education, but also just openness to allow them. Uh, you know, I used to mentor and run workshops or, or retreats, you know, rite of passage weekends for teenage boys, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I first joined this organization to do that, they had a, what's called, you know, sex talk on, on Sunday of the event. And I thought, oh, great, that's great. They're going to bring this in. And then we're in the staff meeting before the weekend begins. And they say, well, we're just going to get rid of the sex talk because we try to do it and they don't want to talk. And so we're just going to do it. And I'd like stood up and said, wait a minute, I'll, I'll do it. You know, let me run it. Because uh, I thought it was kind of hypocritical that here we are trying to teach these or initiate these young men into mature masculinity and we're dodging, talking straight up about sex. So uh, it came down to pretty simple. It ran great. It was just by asking them the question, what's the right age for you to start having sex? And I just opened and asked that open-ended question and they just, boom, took off and everybody was talking and had an opinion and you know, not, not all the same one, mm -hmm. but it was opening up the conversation because then we could talk about safe sex and pregnancy, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, responsibility, uh, you know, and uh, and we had some fun too. But yeah, to people, you know, kids are still finding their information on the streets and the playground and, you know, porn sites for the most part, unfortunately, not getting a real good, solid, no. straight up adult mature information. Somebody they could just talk to about, well, could I, what about, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. ask intelligent questions that they, they already have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, some of it just, I think some of it's uh, human behavior. Some of it's, uh, uh, some of what you speak of and address, I think actually is more, is even to the parenting. You can have a kid without any training. You you can't drive a car, but but mm. you can have a kid, and yeah, and be no responsible manual. for for no manual. Uh, I mean, and so somebody says, well, how does that evolve? And I, I, I there's a really quick short story I, I mention, and that is uh, I am uh, as uh, most people I think that uh, listen to the show know I'm I'm considered what it would be a dominant or and a daddy. That's that's my personal proclivity. I live it with pride but i am kind of a you know that that's that a very out there kind of male and my daughter who was uh um 20, 18 and i've been very open with her teaching her what she needed to do you know we we had and i don't know if this is right or wrong but one of the things we told her is if you can't talk to us about sex then about having sex and getting condoms and going to the, you're probably not ready for it. And that's our sign to us that you're ready for this. If you can talk to us about it, then we know yeah. it's in your head and you're thinking about this. But anyway, go back to this. My daughter, I, I raised my daughter. She lived with me uh, for the most part. And uh, after she's out of college, she's still living with me. And she says, daddy, I'd like to have friends over at the house and I'd like them to stay over. And, and I thought about it and I didn't object. I, di I didn't want to necessarily run into a strange guy in my kitchen. So I said, you know, mm -hmm. well, ho hopefully he has something. But a couple times a month, you know, once a week, I can see that, let it go. And she would bring her friends in. And I looked at these guys and they were not very aggressive. They were, they were kind of uh, um, far less... I don't know. I, I want to use the term. I don't want to use a term because I don't want to disparage the term and I'm not making fun of anybody, but they were not very, they were very retiring male 
individuals and there was nothing wrong mm-hmm. with it but i went to my daughter and i said you know you don't have to you don't have to accept that you can choose whatever you want and and i'm considering my by the way i'm considering myself a, a reasonable human being I'd, I'd already started in this path i hadn't gone very far but mm-hmm. i'd already explored sort of explore my kink she, she starts laughing at me i'm crying she starts laughing mm-hmm. at me she goes dad you really don't think i want to date anybody like you do you Jeez. That so was my learning think? curve, but th- but yeah. my point is, it was a sexual talk, but it really was about parenting. Yeah, you know, and and I'm lucky well, I that I have a very that. bright girl because oh. she was already an adult. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, this is a kind of a if I heard what you said there in terms of describing these young men. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a lot of women clients who are wanting their men to step up, mm-hmm. who are wanting their men, not just kinky, well, I guess maybe more kinky because that's about the focus of my practice, but right. uh, more generally, even though they're just, uh, are finding that they're, they're, you know, the men don't are nice and sweet and gentle and kind and nice, but there's no edge. You know, they don't right. hold their ground. They don't push back they don't uh, uh hold their territory or or bring you know uh it you know and so i think that's one of the kind of cultural shifts everything is like a pendulum that swings back and forth you know there's clearly been this kind of out of control masculine aggressive uh, uh violating kind of masculinity that's gone on for a millennium you know mm-hmm. uh but uh, then there's uh, also now this swing uh, Robert Bly, a mythologist, philosopher, he called it the soft male, you know, who uh, men in the 60s and the 70s who, you know, kind of in an intention, with an intention to become better men and, you know, accommodate, you know, the feminine and learn to listen better, all of which are good things, though also didn't retain their own rights, boundaries, uh, edges, you know. Uh, to dance, you know, equally with their their partner, mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of a whole other topic. But it is something that comes up in when I work with clients of you know uh, women because they want their man to hold them a certain way or, or you know grab them a certain way or you know, just embrace them and you know uh, uh, they want that physical uh, element of the masculine you know to be present with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well- you know, and we've spent a, we've kind of rambled a little bit here, but um, I want to, and we, it's okay to go over the, I, I know we, uh, originally we talked about having you on until 930. If, if you have the time, uh, I'd be glad to extend it. We can uh, continue the conversation for a little bit longer, but because we actually haven't got. I actually gotten, need to uh, part at 930. Okay. Um, so I, I really haven't gotten to ask you what you mean by decoding your kink. What are you trying to What's that? Yeah. Well, it was kind of a word to use that has a certain contemporary sensibility to it. So, I, I, I mean, I struggled or went through a lot of different titles for it. But this idea of being able to uh, analyze, interpret, define, uh, flesh out, uh, go drill down into... Uh, look at the code, you know, that is holding this, the way your sexuality is showing up, uh, you know, in your life. 
some of these underpinnings. This is why, uh, and also it, it implies the kind of the code beneath, you know, the program idea. And for people who are kink-driven, there is a, a kind of a an encoded story, you know, in the psyche, the sexual psyche already that uh, is personal. It's innate and uh, it's as inherent as your eye color and, and you know, or and innate as your fingerprints. I mean, these are a uh, distinct part of the personal personality. So uh, it's just a kind of a, t a title to convey that there is a a complexity underneath however it's showing up in your everyday life. And I, and I want to define that and have people look at that because then they can have a richer experience so that they can engage it in a deeper and more meaningful and fully embodied ecstatic soulful way. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think I, I heard you say that you were actually, you did have another commitment at 9.30, so you had to leave us. Uh, and as we're yes. getting close to 9.30, uh, why don't you tell our listeners how to get a hold of you, how to get a hold of the book, and um, any other pertinent information that uh, they might need? Yeah, well, that's pretty straightforward. I can, uh, most of this information we talked about, at least on the sexual side, is on my website, uh, galenfoos.com, G-A-L-E-N-F-O-U-S.com. Uh, my book is available through there. I have another book called The Sharp Edge of Love, which I, uh, authored and uh, published in 2000 so it's been around for a while and uh which is the uh description of my early journey into to kink and arrows it's mm -hmm. quite a compelling story that focuses on four women uh, fascinating dimension of the feminine and women uh that i are part of the book that uh was very well regarded book back in the day uh i also am involved and have been, uh, you know, so my, my website has my ability, you know, someone wants to contact me and wants some coaching or uh, client work as a client to help support them in the ways I've described. They can find that there. My book is there. The Discover Your Personal Neurotic Myth Survey is there, which can be taken. It's totally anonymous. Uh, at the end, you can opt in after you've taken it and then you go through a, a screen where you're not traceable from there. You can email for the compiled results of the other 2,300 people. And it's totally fascinating what people reveal in the survey because there's places where people put their personal experience and dialogue from their personal rock myth and other things that are very fascinating. And the data is fascinating. Uh, as well, I also have a, uh, a, a program that I uh, call Conscious Erotic Male Dominance that I work with men to support them in embracing their... Uh, interest desire to step into kink as a dominant in some way uh i have a program on there that's specifically for men in that regard mm -hmm. uh all on the com site the tetris portable dungeon suspension rig and sex swing is that uh which has been around since 2000 as well so it sells all over the world uh is at t-e-t-r-u-s-s dot com Mm -hmm. Lots of free galleries there, lots of cool things to see, mm -hmm. rope work, rigging, you know, all kinds of good things. 
Mm-hmm. So it's been a pleasure uh, being able to speak with you tonight, Will, and uh, thank mm-hmm. the audience and for listening mm-hmm. this long. And it's been a pleasure to be part of your show. No problem. And uh, I want to let the audience know before we go into a musical break here that uh, you'll also be able to find uh, Gibbons' contact information on uh, at the Regarding Sex on Facebook um, uh, as well. So. If you have Facebook, you're yeah. You know, we'll I'm on Facebook and I'm on FetLife, uh, mm-hmm. Twitter, Tumblr. Just use my name. I'm pretty much under any of those. If you, you got it. Find me there. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I have a feeling that we'll uh, have to have you back after you've had a, a little bit of uh, time to tour the book and uh, see what comes of it. That'd be great. All right. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Good night. Now. All right. Okay, we've been speaking with uh, Galen Fus and uh, his book. Um, decoding your kink and I will uh, put that uh, or somebody will put that up on the Facebook page uh, before the end of the night tonight and then of course you'll be able to download the podcast uh, as well but let's take a little uh, musical break here now give me a chance to um, get rid of all that water I've been drinking which I I realize is not fascinating but again without a co-host thank you very much uh, Lulu loves and I try to get my uh girlfriend to come on here but she's afraid of me i haven't had to work on that i I should have talked to galen about that too right so uh but uh here we go oh i you know what i hate it when i screw stuff up um so i'm gonna have to ramble a little bit uh for some reason i uh here we go um i had a song picked out that i like it's a little melancholy and, uh, but also uh, also kind of nice, and I think you guys will probably recognize this.
left home when I was three and he didn't leave much to Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now I don't blame him cause he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke and it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks. Seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd get rid and some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head. I'll tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Well, I grew up quick and I grew up mean. My fist got hard and my wits got keen. Roamed from town to town to hide my shame. But I made me a vow to the moon and stars. I'd search the honky-tonks and bars and kill that man that give me that awful name. Well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July and I'd just hit town and my throat was dry. I thought I'd stop and have myself a brew. At an old saloon on a street of mud, there at a table dealing stud, such a dirty mangy dog that named me Sue. Well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad from a worn out picture that my mother had. And I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old. And I looked at him and my blood ran cold. And I said, my name is Sue. How do you? between the eyes and he went down but to my surprise come up with a knife and cut off a piece of my ear but I busted a chair right across his teeth and we crashed through the wall and into the street kicking and a gouging in the mud and the blood and the beard I tell you I fought tougher men but I really can't remember when he kicked like a mule and he bit like a crocodile I heard him laugh and then I heard him cuss and went for his gun I pulled mine first he stood there looking at me and I saw him smile he said son this world is rough and if a man's gonna make it he's gotta be tough and I know I wouldn't be there to help you along so I give you that name and I said goodbye I knew you'd have to get tough or die and it's that name that helped to make you strong Now you just fought one hell of a fight And I know you hate me and you got the right To kill me now and I wouldn't blame you if you do But you ought to thank me before I die For the gravel in your guts and the spit in your eye Cause I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue I got all choked up and I threw down my gun, called him a paw and he called me a son, and I come away with a different point of view. And I think about him now and then, every time I try and every time I win. And if I ever have a son, I think I'm gonna name him Bill or George, any damn thing but Sue. I still ain't that.
back to regarding sex this is your host will to fly uh i'm unfortunately uh spicy spice is off for this month but she'll be returning in june for a new whole new slate of shows uh you've been listening to uh decoding your king with uh galen uh Fuss and uh will to fly here and 
We're just about to wrap up as we close in on the 10 o'clock hour. I do want to mention that our next show will be the third Wednesday of the month, and for some idiotic reason, I can't tell you, I couldn't even tell you what that date is, because I don't live more than three days ahead of time. That's just uh, too hard for me to keep up. But uh, I do want to mention that we will be going over in, uh, instruments, uh, some of the toys that uh, what they call impact play. And again, this is um, a more, uh, I mean, the show's you're welcome to come down to the studio, see some of the masters of the different implements, uh, implements from uh, floggers to uh, mentioned single tails earlier, which is a, a whip to paddles. Um, pretty much any of the stuff that you saw in uh, any of the movies that uh, feature scenes uh, um, with uh, any kind of play that follows that. But that'll be our next show in two weeks. On the 15th, we'll be joined uh, with the co-host, who's also... Uh, uh, Lulu loves, and she will be here as well. So bring out your questions, bring out your toys, see what you want, and uh, listen in. And we'll also be informing you where to learn to use some of those instruments if you're interested, but also how impact play is incorporated into your life, into your lifestyle, what it means. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, some of the terms that people who are not familiar with the uh, with um, this form of sexuality, we'll look at it and say, "Well, why do that, or why do th this?" But and we'll ki we'll kind of dive uh, dive into that as well. And uh, in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look up that date. I lost my phone, which is my key uh, computing instrument these days, and so I'm going to have to look this up on a uh, old-fashioned. Uh, iPads. I don't know. Are, are people still using iPads? I'm not sure if they are or not. But uh, that date will be. Um, whoops! I'm gonna uh, cancel out that and go to month. That day will. Uh, it's the fourth. It'll be the 18th of the month. Uh, and then uh, again on the first of June, Spicy Spice will return, and we'll be live uh, again with a studio audience. By the way, this is a live studio audience show, and you're welcome to come in with your questions or comments or see what we're up to. We're located at the corner of 21st and Mission in the. I'm sorry, 21st and Florida in the Mission District here. Great place to have a drink, get some food. Not a not a uh, short walk from Bart, but it is a walk uh, from Bart that is not that bad. So if you're in uh, reasonable walking shape, you can make it there from Bart as well. Get it uh, 16th or the 24th station. Come on down. Some of the best pupusas in the city are right here, and they've got some great uh, bar food as well. And uh, generally speaking, most of the uh, local. Uh, watering and feeding holes in the area will take very well uh, good care of you to if you ca tell them you're coming down here for um, the radio station Mutiny Radio uh, as well as MutinyRadio.fm. I understand from some of our callers tonight that there is an issue with the live stream that it's not it is not feeding all of device uh, all devices and all um, Browsers. We are in the process of reinventing our website and upgrading all our equipment. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, the history of Mutiny Radio, it was a uh, pirate radio at one uh, point, and a, a real broadcast pirate radio. The FCC shut us down, and four days later, they made the internet available for streaming. 
so the station didn't miss a beat, moved into the streaming uh, platform, and we are live, but uh, obviously if you've got a browser that's going to have a problem with the current feed, then um, it's not going to work. And unfortunately, we are a uh, collective, so most of the work is done internally by members of the community, and uh, most of them have uh, other obligations. So not always does the technology roll out quite the way we expect it to. So I do apologize for that. But it's worth uh, listening. And I hope you'll uh, get a chance to listen to the show uh, on the podcast. You'll uh, listen in live sometime here in the future because we would like that uh, very, very much. So I want to uh, go ahead and get ready to sign off here. But uh, before I do, I uh, want to thank our special guest tonight, uh, Galen Foose, and uh, you can, I will put up his information on the website, and you can download his book. Uh, it's a very interesting read. It's also a fascinating study. I'm uh, in the middle of two books right now about uh, sex uh, and kink, and I find that both of them mention the fact that as a society, we don't, we don't manage language. We, we associate things ba uh, negatively with a word that is never really meant, was never more a word that was meant to be anything more neutral or not. Some, some of the words are actually um, eh, have, have a more negative connotation, but it's interesting that as we let our sexuality go, words tend to make, to uh, be devi divisive. And I, I guess that's true in any walk of life, isn't it? Anyway, you've been listening to Regarding Sex with your host, Will to Fly. Spicy Spice and Lulu Love will be back in the near future, but uh, we appreciate your listening. And for those of you who came down to, this, to the uh, station to uh, take a look at the show, uh, thanks for coming down. Be sure to come down next time. All right. Have a great night. We'll see you in two weeks.
I mean, no one got hit by a bus, but <laughs> Tess would still it's like watch pretty it. good. I, I could throw that in there somewhere. <laughs> get that, get those bus fans. Yeah, my uh, my bus shot already happened. <laughs> if the you're bus ever, shot. if you're ever in, uh, if you're ever in wicked grounds. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go in the the bathroom. Okay. In the light box. Okay. The mirror in the bathroom. Yeah. Or the light box in the ba- bathroom. That's the x-ray of my arm. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to go check that out. Check it out. That's early on. Oh, I'm definitely going to have to go see that. Yeah. That's so cool. Wicked Grounds is a coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You guys should check that out. Wait, I do want to ask you, what's your favorite coffee, <laughs> San Francisco coffee? I like stuff. I like beans from uh, Rwanda. Okay. Nice. And I, I'm. Uh, Rwanda's good. I don't like Ethiopian. It's too blueberry-ish. I'm enthralled with the, uh, with the process. Yeah. You know the warm cup. The, Hell yeah. The white filters and the timed. Yep. And the perfect temperature and the yeah. Coffee's fun. Hey man, you guys, you guys are the experts. Um, I, I'm, we're gonna actually have to cut it off because we're we're at 12 p.m. 12:01. But thank you guys so much for listening, Morgan. Thank you thank for doing you. the bonus shenanigans. Thank uh, you. I'm gonna go ahead and and hit stop, and then uh, Tess is gonna play some other shenanigans, and then uh, you know that's great because then we won't have dead air. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. Ta-da. Dude, Morgan, thank you for staying for
satisfaction of what's to come. everybody thank you so much for tuning in my name is andrea this is sass and brass it's been a week a quick hiatus due to work things and life things but it is so lovely to be back i hope the groove is actually in your heart as it is in mine if not that's a problem you need to think about it look into the mirror and reflect today's episode about reflection perspective looking back whether it be, you know, advertising choices or what you did with your heart, that's what today's episode is all about. Let's keep moving forward. Um, you are listening to D Light. Who was that? Who was that? 
y'all know the name of that song, who it was from, which album, what time period, Fleetwood Mac people. Um, so silly, I actually started to just connect with this band. Um, but yeah, uh, absolutely beautiful. And this song is all about introspection, looking back, having a point of reference in your life. Um, recently it was brought to my attention that someone who I used to think was absolutely intimidating on many different levels. Um, and then I actually had the pleasure of meeting in person, uh, passed away. Um, this person was walking around town, downtown San Francisco with their mother where they were struck and unfortunately killed by a motor vehicle. Um, they're no longer with us and it's really a shame, um, to, to, um, know about this person and meet them only briefly in passing but actually having a fantastic time with them when i met them and knowing that they're no longer going to be with us um and i'm actually looking back back at that point of reference um all the stress and anxiety i put into this one person that you know never should have existed and just flowing i could have just flowed with the situation and enjoyed their company but I was intimidated by them. I was jealous of how successful and amazing they were. Um, and then upon meeting them, you just kind of realize that they're like a wholesome, good-hearted person that, you know, should be successful and should get the world. Um, and now that they're unfortunately no longer with us, I'm almost filled with a little bit of regret for um, putting anxiety into a situation where it could have been an opportunity. Um, so that song's really ren resonating with me on a deeper level. Um, with that being said, um, <laughs> today's theme is about reference, introspection, and looking back. My name's Andrea. I'm your host. Um, this is Sass and Brass. We're going to get to the brass part eventually. We'll get there. We'll get there. Maybe some sass sprinkled in between, but until then, hang in. When you were here before You couldn't look you in the eye You're just like an angel Your skin makes me cry You float like a feather In a beautiful world I wish I was special You're so So bad. 
because this song all came out when we were a bunch of young folks. That was off of their album Writer's Block. I'm pretty sure anyone who ever had a crush on anyone else would play this song um, and just think about how special we all are, which is what we truly are. Y'all are special. I love you so very much. I love you so very much. You're quite special in my eyes. Don't ever stop breathing air. And if you do, that's okay. But, you know, let, make sure you, you lived your life to the fullest. My name's Andrea. This is Sass and Brass. Coming up next right now is Xenia Rubinos. She, I had the pleasure of seeing her in Boston. This beautiful woman is releasing a new album. And she just gave everyone a teaser. This song, Lonely Lover, um, is fucking weird. It's fucking phenomenal. It's fucking fantastic. She's Cubana and she's Puerto Rican as well. So see if you can hear it. Let me know if you can't. Here we go.
lost and found I drank my last five dollars, it's raining now Mommy don't feel like she got it down Watch out cause I heard that's coming plastic show I couldn't get the computer to work so this might not be saved but it's still gonna matter and uh, mutinyradio.fm is where you're listening Do the wind, the sun, or the rain 